0: Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you today. My name is Chris, and we're in this second week of the series called The Squeeze, How to Handle Pressure in a Pressurized World. And uh, if you were with us last week, uh, we kicked off the series talking about uh, worry and anxiety. If, if you missed last week or if you're a guest with us today, I just want to let you know that uh, you can go to org. click on messages, and there you can find all of our messages online. You can watch, listen, download, share. We have discussion guides that you can uh, download and personally go through or grab a group of people to go through. And we found out this week we've been working with Apple to get our video podcasts uh, available. And it just takes months and months and months to work through Apple's uh, uh, system to get that approved. And they finally approved it, and so now you can also... Uh, subscribe to our video podcast as well to have that just come straight to your desktop. Again, just tools and resources uh, to help you and uh, the people you're connected with. So that's all available online. And so we looked at this whole world of anxiety last week, and we defined anxiety as this uh, irrational fear to this undefined event or moment or issue in the the future. And uh, Jesus just kind of simply came at it saying, hey, worry about today it's okay to have worries and anxieties about today, uh, but don't worry about tomorrow. God will give you what you need for tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month. So focus on today and then tomorrow, focus on tomorrow. And God will will always uh, uh, give you what you need. Trust that God will provide for your needs in that moment, in that specific space and time. Well, today we're going to look at probably the second greatest pressure that we all have to navigate through. And it's that it's the issue of time, and what do we do with this time that we have, and how do we approach time? And so we're going to get into this, this whole idea by thinking about, in 30 seconds, what our bodies go through. So if I could have 30 seconds on the clock, this is what happens in 30 seconds within your body. We will take eight breaths. Our heart will beat 36 times our bodies will produce around 72,000 red blood cells and they'll travel four miles. Our bodies will shed 174,000 skin cells. You will have 25 thoughts, which means in a 30-minute message, you won't listen to most of what I have to say. (laughs) And your body will produce 100 watts of energy. 30 seconds. No wonder we're all tired. I'm exhausted just thinking about what my body's going through right now. And we just get, time just moves by, doesn't it? And if you have kids, time speeds up, doesn't it? As you watch them grow. And if you have grandkids, ha. Oh. And there's times where we just want to pause and say, just slow down time, slow down time, slow down time. From the very beginning of mankind, cultures have discussed time. I mean, God framed this world and built this world, and there's this time schedule, and the Jewish culture kind of built their entire day system around God's system, and so that's why they started, uh, their days started at sundown, not sunrise, sundown. That's when the beginning of their day started. The ancient Sumerians, somewhere around the uh, third millennial BC, uh, was the first uh, kind of culture to take days and put them into a framework of 30 days would equal a month. The Greeks started working on their calendars. The Romans started working on their calendar, which became the Julian calendar. But it had a fatal flaw: it was the leap year. But it wasn't until the 1500s that Pope Gregory the 13th he looked at the calendar, and said, "There's a better way," because there's two issues. One there was there was a leap year issue that he wanted to fix, but also he wanted to make sure that the calendar aligned. Easter to what the Council of Nicaea that met in 325 AD uh, kind of said where Easter was. And so he had like two motives. And so uh, in the 1500s, Pope Gregory, he realigned this calendar, which became what we know as the Gregorian calendar. It's what almost all societies and cultures use today. But time has been at the center of debate and discussion. Uh, Isaac Newton came at the whole space and time uh, thought process through a very mathematical approach. And then you had the the famous uh, philosopher, Immanuel Kant, who came at it in this very philosophical approach. And then they had a bunch of debates around how to perceive time and space. I watched a, a TED Talk this week online, and it was a, 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 an expert in the cosmos. And he had 15 minutes to do his whole talk about what he thought about the creation of the world. And he had a very definitive idea of how this earth was created. And in the next 14 and a half minutes, he posed a bunch of questions about the direction of the universe and what happened before the earth was created. And he basically ended his talk saying, yeah, we have a bunch of questions and we we really have very few answers for this whole discussion on space and time. But this is what we all know. We all know this. We all have an ending point. We all have a birthday. We were all born into this world naked. We all get that. And this is what we know in this whole idea of time. There's going to be an ending date. And this line is very finite. There is a beginning. And there will be an end. Whether it's an hour from now, a day from now, a year from now, decades from now. This line. And from the beginning of mankind, this has been the case. This is the reality we've lived in. I read this article from the New York Times, and the title captured my attention. This was the title of it, Relax, You'll Be More Productive. And I just, you know, the relax word and productive, I'm like, that's great that can those two words uh, live together. I'd love to find out if they can live together. And so he started this article uh, this way, think for a moment about your typical work day. Do you wake up tired, check your email before you get out of bed, skip breakfast, or grab something on? on the run that's not particularly nutritious? Rarely get away from your desk for lunch. Run from meeting to meeting with no time in between. Find it nearly impossible to keep up with the volume of email you receive. Leave work later than you'd like and still feel compelled to check email in the evenings? You know what I want to answer to every one of those questions? Yeah, that's it. That's my life. I have, I have found myself working uh, on email till late in the e- evening and then grabbing my iPhone, walking up the stairs, syncing my iPhone uh, email, laying in bed, putting my head on the pillow and raising my iPhone up going, I can get two more out. But I think for all, almost all of us, if not all of us in this room, that these are the questions. That this is the pressure we're feeling. He goes on in this article, and he says this, More and more of us find ourselves un, unable to juggle overwhelming demands and maintain seemingly unstable pace. Paradoxically, the best way to get more done may be to spend more time doing less. I read this overwhelming word, and uh, actually, I, I, I kind of like being overwhelmed. I kind of like the stress I kind of like the pressure of great challenges. I love the thought of going, hey, here's Mount Everest. How are we going to climb it? How are we going to get there? I love operating under stress. I love that pressure. Maybe that's for you. You love that. And so the overwhelming word, I'm like, I love being overwhelmed. That's a great, great issue to have. I love operating and leading in that, that space. But then he hit on this unsustainable word. I think if all of us pause for 30 seconds, we all get that We're living in this unsustainable pace. The image in my mind is if you took a a rubber band and you just went to stretch it and stretch it and stretch it and stretch it, at some point you're going to have to let go or it's going to snap. And that's the pressure of time that we all live in. We're seeing how far we can stretch this rubber band. Harvard did uh, some research, and they found out that uh, uh, in America, businesses are losing on, on a grand total of around $63 billion a year because of sleep deprivation. Their employees not getting enough sleep. And they kind of set the bar at six hours. They found out that employees getting less than six hours of sleep a night that's causing work performance issues to decrease. And I looked at that six-hour word uh, line and I was kind of thought to myself, well, I've always worn kind of this label, this badge of honor when people have asked me, well, Chris, how much sleep do you need? And I've always responded, five to six hours. It's, it's, it's what I need. It's great. I kind of have two lives. I have this life up until about 8.30 in the evening. And uh, we put the kids to the bed. My wife has about three more minutes in her. And then she's, she's, she goes to bed. And I sit there, I'm like, I have from 8.30 until about midnight. That's great working time for me. It's awesome. And then I read this report. I'm like, well, maybe that's not as good as I want to believe. Stanford, Stanford did a research project, and uh, they looked at basketball players, and they found out that uh, a basketball player, when, uh, when they averaged uh, over 10 hours of sleep a night, I know that's ridiculous to think about, 10 hours, I'm like, yeah, right, but 10 hours, that their free throw shooting percentage and their three-point shooting percentage increased 9% because of sleep. A hair survey found out that in 2012, the average American left somewhere around 9.2 days of vacation time on the table. They didn't use it. And for me, that wasn't real shocking. That, that didn't really matter to me. Over all my years of leadership and work, I've always left vacation time. I've never used all my vacation time. And uh, I don't know how I could use all my vacation time. So I read 9.2 days. That wasn't shocking to me. I kind of said, okay. But what grabbed my attention is when they compared 2012 to 2011. And in 2011, the average was 6.2. Increase of 50%. This author of the New York Times, he goes on in this article, he wrote this, more, bigger, faster. This is the ethos of the market economy since the industrial revolution is grounded in a mythical and misguided assumption that our resources are infinite. And isn't that how we approach our life? That our time resources are infinite, that our emotional resources are infinite, that our just energy to do work and to relate and connect, that All of our resources are infinite. But we all know when we pause and we really think about it, it's mythical and it's misguided. Because at some point, you're either going to have to let go of that rubber band or it's going to snap. At some point, you're going to run out of resources. At some point, we just will not have enough to sustain the pace. So what do we do with our time? What do we do about it? Today, I'm going to share a story. And it's this interaction between Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro. And uh, there's one level of a takeaway or application that I think we could all apply this story to. And it could be to a very specific leadership business application. And uh, as we get into it, I'm sure that you've read books by uh, Marcus Buckingham or Jim Collins or uh, attended leadership seminars, and it's going to be kind of leadership time management 101 principles. And so it'll be an easy takeaway for, for all of you to apply to your life. But here's what I want to challenge all of you with is not just apply it to a very specific leadership, business, job, school context. What if we apply this to our entire life? in every area of our life? What if we applied this interaction, this leadership principle to every different area of our life? So to get into the story, uh, to kind of set up what was happening right before, uh, God tapped Moses on the shoulder and said, "Hey, hey Moses, I want you to lead my people out of Israel and so Moses said no because that's that was a great response. God said yes and God became very convincing. Moses finally said yes, went to Pharaoh, said let my people go. Okay, I worked on that all week, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you think? Yeah, oh, Broadway here I come. And so uh, he uh, he uh, went to Pharaoh. Finally, finally, Pharaoh said go. Moses fled. Uh, the people out of Israel, and uh, uh, they had found themselves kind of walking for four months. The experts think somewhere around uh, several million people now was the size of Israel. And so for four months, they had been kind of walking and making their way as this new free nation. But you have to remember, they had spent 400 years in captivity and slavery and so Moses became kind of uh, the leader. God said, hey, Moses, I still want you. I still want to use you. You're going to be my, my, my spokesperson. You're going to kind of, I'm going to lead through you. So Moses was now leading this, this new free nation. And Moses uh, heard that uh, Jethro, his father-in-law, was going to be bringing his wife and kids. And could you imagine the excitement for Moses to be reunited with his wife and kids? And this is where the story picks up. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and bowed down and kissed him. Now, I'm not sure for you. I have a great relationship with my father-in-law, but I've never bowed down and kissed him. Awkward. I'm going to see him in a week, and I've thought to myself, well, maybe I should try this approach. And then I'm like, no, he'd probably hit me. And, uh, uh, but you could sense kind of the respect Moses had for his father-in-law. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. And I could just imagine this conversation because Jethro had probably heard bits and pieces of the story about uh, Moses and Pharaoh and Egypt and everything going on. And I could just imagine Jethro sitting down on a stool and saying, hey, come on, Moses, I want to know every detail, what took place. And Moses started in telling the story. Hey, Jethro, you just seen Pharaoh's eyes the first time I walked up to him and say, look, I'm not going to sing again, but let, let God's people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, forget you. And then God sent plagues, and you should have seen Pharaoh's eyes when the frogs came. I mean, they were massive frogs, and they, they were loud. And you should have seen Pharaoh, Pharaoh's eyes when the locusts came. Uh, speaking of locusts, can I take a quick timeout? This is very important for my message. <sighs> when I came almost 19, 20 months ago, And if you've been here during that stretch, you know that it's been a a very wonderful 18, 19 months. And uh, this is what my family has experienced. An earthquake. It was a hurricane, but some person sitting somewhere downgraded it to a tropical storm. It was a hurricane. There was snowpocalypse, if you remember that. Uh, And then Hurricane Sandy. And then a few months ago, someone started to tell me that there was something called 17-year cicadas. I'm like, come on. Seriously? Like, what more do we have to endure here in New Jersey? Yeah, it's beautiful. I love it here. But really, what else is going to be on this list? And everyone I've talked to about the 17-year cicadas, they've equated it to the plague of locusts. And, you know, I'm like, oh. And I've started of research them, and their big red buggy eyes. And, <sighs> Okay, moving on with the message. So Moses, I just want to share that, by the way, that, that has no value to this conversation. And so Moses is sharing all of this with, with his father-in-law, Jethro. And he's like, hey, and we got through the plagues. Pharaoh finally said, go, get out of here. And we started to approach the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's armies decided to, to chase us down. And God opened the Red Seas, and we got through the Red Sea, and then got. Closed the Red Sea on Pharaoh's army. It was amazing, Jethro. You just seeing the hand of God and his power and his care as he guided us out of Egypt. It was amazing. You pause in that moment. I mean that conversation. Wow. Well, I'm sure they talked late into the night, and Moses probably had to say, Hey, I gotta get up early. Jethro, I'm kind of busy busy. I'm now leading this nation. So it goes on. And it says, the next day Moses took his seat. To serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. See, one of Moses' responsibilities became judge. Why? Well, for 400 years, they didn't have freedom. They didn't have a voice. They didn't have a vote. They couldn't give their opinion. All they could do is say yes to the demands of Egypt. Now, for four months, they had freedom. They could say yes, they could say no, they could say maybe. They could look at someone and say, well, I know that's your opinion, but I don't agree with you. They could look at someone and say, well, I don't like you, so I don't agree with you. They now had a voice. And all these issues from several million people living together started to rise up. What type of issues? I don't know. Just issues, right? Someone loses a chicken, and they find their chicken in someone else's chicken coop or pen. They're like, that's my chicken. No, it's not. Prove it. Well, it has a red feather, and I call him Johnny. I don't know. Like, There's chicken disputes. Someone whittled up a tent uh, pole that was weak in an area and it snapped and they're taking two pieces of a tent pole saying, hey, you whittled me a bad, faulty tent post. And the guy's like, no, I didn't. You broke it. I'm going to sue you. You can't sue me. Okay, let's go to Moses. Maybe teenagers were running around at 3.30 in the morning thinking it would be hilarious to start removing tent pegs and tents started to collapse all over and they thought it was hilarious, but the people inside the tent, they didn't think that was hilarious. I don't know what type of issues, but you can just imagine millions of people who now are free. Complicated. Moses became judge. And so he started to try to work through their issues. story goes on. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, and this is the first recorded moment in history where we have uh, a bring your father-in-law to work day. It's it's a great day. I would recommend it for all of you. And so Jethro is standing there uh, watching Moses lead the people, watching Moses be the judge of the people, watching all this leadership and all these issues. And this is what Jethro said. You are such a great leader, The responsibility that you carry is is significant. There is so much more I can learn from you. I'm relieved as a father-in-law to know that my daughter is so well cared for. I can finally let go of her. My precious daughter, my grandkids have a bright future. Wow, you're an inspiration to me, and I'm honored to be in your presence. Okay, that's not what he said at all. But could you imagine if your father-in-law said that to you? That'd be like, yes, no, this is what he said. What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? And while all these people stand around you from morning till evening, let me just whittle this whole line down to this. What are you thinking? Now that's more like a father-in-law. Man, what are you thinking, Moses? I'm standing here. I'm watching everything you're doing. I'm watching all these issues arise. And you're Moses. God's appointed you. And what are you thinking? What are you doing? This doesn't add up to me. Moses replies, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. When you think about these moments, people come to me. They have brought to me, and I decide. I mean, I think Moses just kind of looked at his father in law and was like, hey, Back off. God's tapped me on the shoulder. God wants me to lead his people. I'm responsible. People need me. People have to come to me. If I don't step up, then the people will wonder. It's all about me, Jethro. And we see this glimpse into a piece within Moses where he just thought that everyone needed him jethro was listening to his words and he came back and he said this what you're doing is not good (laughs) what a simple clear statement Uh, I, i hear you moses But it's not good. And Jethro's going to give some insight. He's going to give some input. He's going to give a leadership strategy. Whether Moses wanted it or not, he's going to take this moment to speak to his son-in-law. And this is what he says. You and these people who have come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. And I love that Jethro, he doesn't just focus on Moses. He also says, yourselves out. Hey, Moses, guess what? I'm talking to you specifically because you're in the position, you're in the chair, you're you're the leader. But Moses, you have to understand the decisions you make personally, what you decide to do and not to do, how you leverage your leadership energy and your leadership horsepower, what you decide to do impacts not only you, but everyone around you. And isn't that just true in leadership? Whatever area of leadership you're in, How you care for yourself, how you guard your time, how you leverage your strengths and weaknesses, doesn't just impact you. It impacts everyone else connected to you. And Jethro was just like, hey, Moses, this just isn't a you issue. This is a you plus everyone else issue. He goes on. He goes, listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Number one job description, Moses, is you are the link between the people and God. And so if the people have issues, you need to bring those to God. Remember, God's leading. God's in control. But God has tapped you on the shoulder. And so you are the the spokesperson, the voice for the people to God. It goes on teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. Not only are you to be the spokesperson from the people to God, Moses, God's going to speak into you and you are to teach the people God's law and God's plan and what God desires for them. It's an important piece. And Moses, only you can do that. Hey, Moses, no one else can fill that, that, that role, that seat. Hey, Moses, it all writes on you. Those two things is a two-line job description. That's all, and only you can do it. Only you can do it. Jethro goes on. It says, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and, uh, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And right, this is just great leadership. Do only what you can do. Lead to your strengths and then empower other people. Find qualified people, people with character and chemistry and competency. Find the right people, put them in the right seat on the right bus, headed the right direction. Here's the strategy, here's the structure. Give them guardrails and then let go and empower. He goes on. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide on themselves. If there's a chicken case, let them decide on the chickens. But the really big, the really important, the critical cases, Moses, step in and you judge. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. You see, leadership is about linking arms with other great people and empowering and letting go so you together can accomplish something great. There's a framework. And then he says this, if you do this and God so commands, and I love this moment because first he, he shoves all the responsibility onto Moses' shoulders. Hey, Moses, it's up to you. you. You can complain about the load. You can blame other people about the load. You can blame other people that they're bringing chicken cases to you about someone's chicken. You can, you can do that, but guess what, Moses? This is your decision. It's on your shoulders What are you going to decide? Because how you've set this up and how you're leading, it's not going to work. But it's up to you, Moses. But Moses, also know. And if God commands, and I love that Jethro removed himself from the middle and said, hey, I'm just giving you advice, but Moses, you need to go to God. If God has a different plan, if God has a different purpose, if God wants you to, to lead in a different way, hey, God trumps everything. I wonder if Jethro kind of whispered, but I think God agrees with me. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and these people will go home satisfied. Hey, Moses, if you leverage your gifts, if you focus only on what you can do, if you guard your time, it will be sustainable. It will be. And this is what Moses does. Listened. He listened. And not only did he listen, he did everything, everything that Jethro suggested him to do. I wonder, as Jethro was kind of uh, uh, giving him his advice, his input, I wonder if there was a part of Moses listening to his father in law going, Oh, no. Jethro, you don't know what you're talking about. Hey, Jethro, you you go back to your job, your business. What's that? Oh, you're a shepherd. You have four employees, your sons, and you have sheep. Hey, Jethro, I'm the leader of God's people. Hey, Jethro, God tapped me on the shoulder, not you on the shoulder. Hey, Jethro, I'm in charge of millions of people. Who are you in in charge of? I mean, I just wonder if Moses was working through just real human emotions, real human pride, real human ego. But Moses got to the point to realize that guess what? Jethro was right. Jethro was right. So he listened and implemented. Now, it's a great leadership principle. I mean, this was written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And it's still being taught. It's still being written in books. You can attend seminars. You can go online. You can uh, 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 listen to TED Talks. You, in every area, maximize your strength, minimize your weaknesses. Do only what you can do. Be really clear about what your top one, two, three things that only you should and can accomplish. Empower the rest. This is just leadership one-on-one. But what if we apply this to our entire life? Not just a job, work, school context. What if we apply this over every part of our life? You see, all of us, it's what I call the slashes. All of us have slashes in our life. It's the different hats we wear. This is what mine looks like. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Uh, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. Uh, I wrote triathlete up there because, uh, you know, I wanted to say I like to be in physical shape. I care for my body. And uh, that's so vague. I'm like, well, I'm a triathlete, and, um, and I'm sucking in right now because I really need to work out more. I'm a triathlete, and uh, I'm a pastor. And uh, for me, it's, it's a weird line because I could have written work there because it is my job, but I see my calling. is My job as a pastor is a calling. And uh, I, I tell ya, you, know, if God didn't tap me on the shoulder, there's a whole list of things I'd rather do with my life with my finite finite amount of time that I have. But God said, Chris, I want to use you. And uh, so it's, it's a calling. I'm a pastor, but it's also my work line. And uh, I put these in this order because... In the ideal world, how I would leverage my time, and it's just not the amount of time, it's just not calendaring. I'm talking about where I give my focus, where I give my energy, and that could be an amount of time or it could be just uh, my resources and how I picture the priority list, the list of importance. This would be the ideal world because this is what I know. As I grow closer to God, as my relationship with God becomes a primary kind of uh, uh, target that, that I'm aiming for and looking at, then every one of these things will fall into line. Because as I loved Christ more, Christ has called me to love my wife and serve my wife. And as I love my wife and serve my wife, then guess what? My kids will see a marriage growing together, not just growing together, but growing towards a relationship, a deepening relationship with God. And As my kids see that, guess what? Our kids are going to be cared for. And this is what I know when I'm physically in shape, when I take care of that, that, that physical side of my body, uh, my mental side of who I am, the emotional side of who I am, that comes into line. And then, and then I'm a pastor. But here's reality. As I look, just, just step back in my life. It looks more like this. For me, I, I struggle as a pastor. I, I, I've read and reread Moses' words when he was saying, I and me. The people come to me, and I'm, I need to be there, and I need to help. And I read those words, and that's a difficult part of being a pastor because, like I said, it's more than work. It's a calling. And there's always needs, great needs. And I find myself shoving that pastor slash in front of everything else. And then I'm at the stage of life where my kids, man, my kids are everywhere, running to every, you name sports, school. It's it's crazy. There's times where our kids are coming in front of our marriage. And if you're a parent in here, this is what happens. It's such a danger. You come into this kid stage and all of a sudden the kids become the priority. The kids become the priority and the marriage gets shoved down, gets shoved down. And all of a sudden one day, kids leave the house and husband and wife look at each other and they don't know each other anymore. My wife and I are fighting that. I mean, we are intentionally laser focused on we want to keep our marriage thriving together so the day we kick our kids, I mean, we help our kids leave the house, we look at each other and say, now what? And our relationship is deeper than it's ever been. And we love each other more than we've ever loved each other. And so we, we, we have a date day every Friday. We drop our kids off to school and uh, we spend the day together. It's awesome. And, and uh, we all of a sudden realize two Fridays in a row, our schedules dictated and trumped our date day and Friday. And we finally had one Friday, this last Friday, and we looked at each other and we said, we can't do that. And I tell you, this top line is the ideal, and that's the target. That's what I'm shooting for. That's what I desire. But in reality, I default here. But I tell you, I'm working, and I'm diligent. I'm diligent. And when one of these get out of order, I'm trying to shove it back into order. And my wife and I are working to make sure we keep our priorities where they should be. Here's my question for you is this. What's in between these slashes for you? And what order are they in? And what order should they be in? Because what order that they're actually in and what order they should be in sometimes is two remarkably different pictures. My challenge for you is to sit down and can you write this out? Can you meet maybe with someone that you know, you respect, maybe like a Jethro. Maybe uh, it's your spouse. Who Can you sit down with someone and have this conversation? Because once you have your target, and that, that top line is my target. That's the ideal. That's what I'm shooting for. That's what I'm striving for. Because when that is in that order, I tell you, my life operates in such a life-giving way. And I can always tell when it starts operating like this lower line. Four questions I want to ask you, for you to think about, process. Pray about. First question is this What's driving you? We all have something internal driving us. I mean for Moses, he was this reluctant leader who led God's people out of Israel and now he was in the seat of power. And he was trying to just figure out who he was now. He was a shepherd. Now he's a leader of millions. Now he was the connection between the people and God. What's driving you? For me, God keeps on telling me, Chris, Chris, this is my church, not your church. And God keeps telling me, Chris, you, you, can't, you can't grab on to my church. You have to carry my church with open hands. Because you see, it's so easy for me to grab onto it and oh, it's mine, 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 mine. I'm responsible. I need to be available. I need to be all things to all people. I need to. I need to. I need to. The weight's on me, 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 me. And then God just pries my fingers open. He goes, "No, Chris." And when pastor becomes number one in my line, it's me grabbing onto God's church. And God goes, "No, that's way down the line, Chris. It's my church." that I've placed into your hands to steward for a season. Hey, Chris, number one thing is to love and serve your wife. Number two is to love and serve your kids and be the spiritual leader, not in the church, at home. What's driving you? Number two, what do you need to say no to? That's what Jethro is saying to to Moses, hey Moses, there's a whole list of things you're going to say no to. And when you say no to someone, guess what? They're going to get upset with you because who likes no? But you're going to have to say no. I would love to put on my little uh, slash chart, I'd love to write the word golf on there. I, I've said many times how horrible of a golfer I am, and I've just embraced that. And uh, I, I would love to golf more. I really would. But I, I just don't have the time. I don't have the space. And the other day, my wife came up to me and said, hey, I think I would love to play golf. I'm like, yes, date day, playing golf with my wife. Could, could life get any better? It's awesome. So we might do that together, but it's doing it together. But just something that, that I've just said to myself, until my kids leave the house, I, don't, I just don't have another space for that. I will play. And when I play, my golf game will be as bad as it was the last time I played. What are you saying no to? Number three. Who are you listening to? Do you have a Jethro in your life? A godly person who is willing and able to speak truth into your life? Do you have a godly person who will look at you and say, what are you thinking? We all need that person or persons. I have several Jethros in my life. And I tell you, these, these are men that will square me up I'm a little stubborn, or a lot. And they're willing to step in and say, "Treth, what are you thinking? Your priorities are out of whack. How you're leveraging your time and resources, out of whack. And they will help bring it back into focus. Who's your Jethro? And the last question is this. What is God saying to you? I love that moment when Jethro said, "Hey, hey, Moses, if you do this, and God commands, and God says this is good, you see, that's, that's the question for you. When you pause long enough and just say, hey God, what, what are you saying to me? Hey God, what order should I put these slashes in? Hey God, what should be on that piece of paper? God, what are you saying to me? Well, in this New York Times article, he ends his thought process, and he writes this. The importance of restoration is rooted in our physiology. Human beings aren't designed to expend energy continuously. Rather, we're meant to pulse between spending and recovering energy. Work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. Spending and recovering, spending and recovering. Right after Exodus chapter 18, this interaction between Jethro and Moses, you just flip over a couple chapters to chapter 20, and that's when God gives the Ten Commandments. And the fourth commandment was have a Sabbath, work six days, but have one of rest. Work six days and have one of rest. Work six, rest one. Work six, rest one. It's how it's how God operates. He spent six days creating and rested on the seventh. We were created to work, to maximize and leverage our gifts and talents, but we are also created to rest. And that's why my Friday's with my wife, that's our Sabbath, that's our day. We do everything we can to block that out. It's a day of rest. It's a day I turn it off. It's a day I don't check email. And we protect it at all costs. And there's times we have to refocus and reorb our world and we, there's times we look at it and go, oh, we didn't protect it as well as we could. But where's your day of rest? Because if you keep stretching that rubber band, if you don't let it come back, at some point, it's going to snap. It just is. My encouragement is for you. Spend some time this week. Take a piece of paper. And what are those areas that only you can do? If you're a dad, if you're a mom, no one else can fill that time slot, right? Only you can do that. What does that look like? And what priority order should they be in? And let that be your target. Let that be your target. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together. And I know everyone in this room, man, we're always searching for more time and how to uh, better utilize our time and how to leverage our time better. And from technology to time management to books to conferences to discussions, always trying to... uh, Maximize every moment of our day, of our weeks. But Lord, I pray that also we pull back and realize that uh, you have created us to work, yes, but also to rest. That there's more than just our, our jobs or our school or whatever that one box is, that Lord, we have so many other components to our entire life that you have called us to leverage ourselves into as well so lord i just pray that we'll listen to you lord i pray that we will all have jethro's in our life that we'll listen to as well who will speak truth into our lives your name i pray amen god bless have an amazing week